All right, folks, we're back here with uh, Representative Chuck Kopp. How you doing? Good, Jeff. Good to sit down with you here this afternoon on a beautiful, sunny afternoon in Juneau. This is my, my second podcast in this room, different person, before you guys had organized um, in the beginning of the session. This is the rules chair office. Correct. So, so I did a podcast with Gabrielle Ledoux in here um, early, right, right when the session kind of started. Well, that seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? That was, I guess, uh, Jan- Jan- maybe it was like January, maybe early February. January feels like a year ago. Yeah. It's, been, is- a, it's been a very full six months, hasn't it? It's been yeah. very busy. Yeah. So this, so your office here, the second floor, the only floor offices here are the speaker, majority leader, and rules chair. Correct. For the house. Correct. It's kind of the, uh, this is where, you're, you're right there where the floor is, right? Yes, just off the floor. So you were, this is your second term. Second term, it's my 10th year down here in Juneau. As you know, I was chief of staff to Senator Fred Dyson for two years and then uh, for five years and then Senator Machicki for two years. So seven years. Mm -hmm. And then uh, this is now my third year as a legislator. So do you feel like, uh, you know, some people get elected, they've never been to Juneau. Some people were former staffers. Some people worked in government. Um, in your case, you were a former staffer, and I know I did a podcast with Greyer Hopkins a while back, and he was a former staffer. Does, does that help a lot by understanding? It, it helps a lot. It makes you realize that you can't get anything done unless you work with everyone in the building. There's 60 elected people, 61 if you count the governor, and everybody has a voice, and you have to... Hi. Oh, hey. How's it going? Representative Thompson. Okay, I will, buddy. Very Juno. I imagine very Juno. you do edi- editing. You do editing. Yeah, right. uh, well, I'll probably just keep <laughs> yeah, it. It's yeah, good, good, good. It makes yeah, sense. You know, it's... Um, I did a podcast with him earlier today. Okay, okay. Yeah, everyone has a voice, and you got to work with everybody. Everybody represents a group of constituents, and you may not agree with their perspective, but they generally represent a lot of people who also think that way. And as a staff person, your job is to help make peace with everybody so that your boss's goals can advance. And if you're not a good peacemaker you're also not a good asset to your boss. So mm-hmm. having been through seven years of training and 23 years of law enforcement before that, you, where I also learned that gaining voluntary compliance hurt a lot less than using force. <laughs> <laughs> it's just best to um, you know, talk people uh, into a, another way of seeing a solution. It's all great, great preparation for this job today. So it's going back even further. So you were a, you were a cop, and right. it's funny your last name is cop. Right, so. right, right. I got a cop, the good cop. Good cop, bad yeah. Good yeah, cop, right. bad cop. Right, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But you were the uh, Peninsula, right? Is that where right, you were? yeah, yeah. Kenai Peninsula, uh, nineteen years. Um, well, before that, I was with the Anchorage Police Reserves for three years. Kenai Peninsula, uh, nineteen years. Out in Bristol Bay for a year. So it was it was a great thing. I saw Alaska, everything from the Kenai out to Bristol Bay, and. Um, that also helped really connect me with the state. Plus, my, my parents were school teachers out there in Bristol Bay, too, growing up. So you were, you were born? Uh, I was born right in Anchorage, yeah, and then immediately moved out to New Halen on Lake Iliamna, where my mom and dad taught in the Lake and Penn School District out there. So I grew up in little villages around Alaska. Oh, so you have the kind of the rural perspective. Yes, yeah, the rural-urban perspective, which I think helps being in Alaska, you know, that you really get what it's like to live 
in small villages uh, get through winters, you understand that the need for an airport that works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, you need, the, the, you know, how critical things that we take every day, like just being able to go to a grocery store, pick up stuff that in villages, you've got to do a lot more advanced planning. Yeah, sometimes I've, I think I've talked to different legislators and sometimes I think some, sometimes the, the urban people don't understand or maybe appreciate some of the, the rural, you know, challenges because they've never been out there or lived out there. Sure. Uh, you see that a lot, that whole uh, disconnectedness, uh, Jeff, when people seem to not understand, let's say it's the commercial fishing industry. I mean, that all is in rural villages, right? Um, oil and gas field, uh, mining, most of those are very rural areas. Uh, in Anchorage, we can't see oil derricks out there in Cook Inlet, but uh, if you're down in Kenai, you can look out and you see the oil derricks every day. You know where the money comes from. It's right yep. there. You know, So there's more of a sense of connectedness between where do our resources uh where are they at and how do they feed our economy? And uh, most of our great natural resources are all in rural Alaska. So having spent time there, I do appreciate that. So you, you, uh, this last uh, legislature, you were in the minority. Yes. And then this um, new one happened and there was attempted organizing, but that kind of fell apart. And then there was a month of, of not being organized. And eventually you and Jennifer Johnston and Bart LeBon and I guess Tammy Wilson temporarily. And then, um, who else was there? There was uh, Steve Thompson, Steve Thompson, mm-hmm. majority leader. Mm-hmm. So there's a group of you guys mm-hmm. that joined up with um, some of the Democrats and formed up a organization. Can you talk a little bit about? I was here. And I remember it being very high tension. You know, it was a very very difficult time, as you know, Jeff. Uh, that was the longest period in the history of our state where the legislature was not organized. It was more than a month, more than a third of the way through the 90 day session where no agreement on how to organize had occurred. And what we realized is there was no partisan line that it would organize, that an organization would arise from. So what did bring us together was an agreement on a balanced budget that no matter what, we would obey Senate Bill 26, which you know is the structured draw, five and a quarter percent of the total market value of the fund, permanent fund no more than that would be spent and that would include payment of dividends and um and all expenses in other words we would not pay out more than what we took in revenue what you and i have to do in our personal checkbooks every month so that's what brought the team together is is a recognition that we would keep the budget balanced and the people that could agree to that joined uh the people that campaigned on paying um the a statutory draw PFD, no matter what, even if it was unaffordable and unsustainable, if they campaigned on that, they felt that they could not commit to anything other than paying uh, the biggest PFD possible first, and then all other state services would have to be secondary to that. So that really was the dividing line. So there's a lot of ton of chat, I mean, chatter on, I don't know if you go on Facebook or Twitter or social media, but between that and, you know, some of the party type people, there's been a lot of anger i guess and animosity about this but what have, what have you been hearing from your dist- district and your constituents have you been i think sometimes you get on like when i, r- I ran for senate in your district yeah. right and so i was sure i was did. killing the facebook yeah you know if it was a facebook yeah. election i would have won but you, you realize later that stuff on facebook and social media is very oftentimes very different than what's really happening out there in the real world so i have a very supportive district i as you know, I do a lot of communication in district. I do a lot mm-hmm. of newsletters. I, I, I reach out. When I'm not here in Juneau, I visit with a lot of neighbors. 
um, engage people. And I don't expect people to just take my ideas and run with it. I expect to have to carry the water on these arguments. And the, you know, I, I feel blessed to represent a district where even when there's not agreement, most of my constituents feel if you can carry the water on your arguments and they believe that what you're doing is reasonable and overall they find that you are representing them in a way that advances the interests of their of the district and the state, they're going to support me. And I, I know your district very well because when I ran for Senate, I, I walked it. Yes, you did. And I, I've, uh, I've always joked, I've run twice actually, 2012 and 2016, and uh, I always do pretty well in 23 which is Chris Tuck's district. My, that's where I, my house district. But um, there's two problems. Is one, the 23 votes much less, pers- you know, much less um, rate of a rate. A than lower 24, turnout. Lower right, turnout. Right. And, and it's um, 24 is a little more you know, Republican. Right. So I've ran in the primary both times. Yes. But I always get creamed in 24. But what I notice is 24, there's so many more, call them super voters. You know, when you go door to door, there's so many engaged yes. people. If it's Ocean yes. View or Bayshore, Clat yeah. area. So you... Um, Definitely. I think you have one of the highest turnout voting districts in the state. In my district, you are correct. And my district, according to um, Matt Larkin, who, as you know, now runs Dittman, Mm -hmm. says it's the most predictive district of how any statewide election will go. So um, I don't know if that's true or not, but there's one pollster that thinks that's true. But I think uh, probably one of the less transient. A lot of those people have been there for a long time. that's right, uh, Jeff. Low low turnover. A lot of homeowners have been there at least twenty years. Um, have raised their kids, or you may be looking at you know grandparents, great grandparents that have raised you know um, not only their kids but then their grandkids I, there too. You know, I never. I mean, I've I know Anchorage pretty well. I've been there fifteen years, but I never really knew you know like Botanical Heights back there. And yeah, I never knew about that. And then some yeah. of the other places off of Ocean View where I mean, there are some like nice houses. Yeah. And some of those parts of... Yeah, it really are. There's some beautiful neighborhoods. And then we have, you know, what you and I would, would call just, you know, normal middle-class neighborhoods and then back to a, a beautiful neighborhood. Yeah. But it's it has the whole gamut there. Huh. But the one thing, though, that you highlighted is that the turnover is low. People that move in there tend to stay there for a long time. I remember on some of the Ocean View areas precinct, I had um, 23 where Chris Tuck is elected. It's very... Um, it's very dense, you know, it's, there's not a lot of spaces between houses, but on parts of your district, there's, I mean, you have to walk 10 minutes from house to house over an ocean view. <laughs> sure. Or shore, shore road. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so, you're right. Where you have houses that are maybe a hundred yards apart. I had a day where I yeah. was like, I maybe hit, I don't know, 15 houses or 20 yeah. cause I was so yeah. just exhausted from walking all day. Yeah. Yeah. Distances. So you guys finally organized about a month in and it's funny. I've kind of said that the Senate organized right away. They were very, very quick in getting together, um, more methodical, kind of like the Senate operates. But now they're actually having a lot of problems that you guys probably were having initially that you guys worked out. Now they're, you know, I think very split over the permanent fund dividend. Um, I mean, how's it been? It seems like it's you guys are pretty aligned in a lot of ways on a lot of these big issues. Yeah, that's correct, Jeff. I, I would say you're right. The House went through a lot of suffering on the front end to finally arrive on an organization based on fiscal policy. And while the Senate organized quickly on party lines, it has been fiscal policy that has been very troubling. 
to the stability of that organization. And so now what we see is essentially they have done exactly what the House did to survive. They, they effectively are, are voting along fiscal policy lines versus party lines. And that's what has been keeping them together as uh, a, an organization. And often it's 11 votes along a split caucus line, which I know you've seen. Yeah, and then they've had some of those weird nineteen zero twenty zero votes on you know on the dividend three thousand dollar dividend months ago, and then recently this capital budget a couple last week. Uh, no, I guess it was this week the nineteen to zero. Certainly. So I, I, I actually just tweeted out. It's funny, um, Senator Reinbold, who's very uh, active on on social media, had been attacking a bunch of House members about their votes and their chairmanships and. and it was funny because she voted for that budget, you know, and I think she might have been concerned about her chairmanship. So, so you're I, one of the I, ones she's been going. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen them. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, she's been going after me for for three years. But um, every time that happens, my numbers go up in my district. So <laughs> I, I'm not concerned about that. Um, but you know, in the in the Senate majority, you're looking at members that that was. A critical vote for them to hold on to their leadership or their yeah. chairmanship positions where in the in the house um some of those same representatives that are in those senate districts did not have a chairmanship position on the line so i think that that could have been one reason why you saw a difference in vote um another difference in vote is uh it could be that the house minority there's more influence from the third floor Oh yeah, uh, on well, on the House minority than, today, than there I would be in the in the Senate. Just today they were meeting, and I saw Ben Stevens going there, and earlier Donna Arduin was the budget director was hanging out. I, I, I always wonder, is that normal? I mean, I've only been here really one session, so I know they have to talk to the third floor. It's, Certainly, engagement with the governor's office on budget is is normal. Uh, what's not normal is to not have the governor's office engaging with the leadership of the Senate and the House. Um, it's funny, I just tweeted out, I, it's funny, I just asked the Speaker's office, I go, how many times have you guys met with, with Don Arduin? And I was shocked, they said they've never met with her. I said, or re- requested to meet, I said, huh? And then I said, what about Tuckerman Babcock? How many times have you met with him? And they said, same answer. Which to me, I just, it kind of shocked me. You'd, you'd think you'd be meeting all the time. Yeah, well, so it goes back to what I kind of began saying, you know, what I learned as a staff member here is that there's there's 61 people in this building that have a voice and you have to work with all of them and you can't decide to not work with a group because you don't like how they think or or uh, how they reason but uh, we all have to work together and I on a positive note I I think we're starting to see some breakthroughs in that where um, you see house leadership house minority senate leadership senate minority and the third floor starting to starting to talk well, I think you know when you Look at what's at stake, this capital budget, this matching money, almost a billion dollars, and this power cost fund, and, and the scholarship fund. I mean, I, it's a lot of people affected. Yes, Jeff, you are correct. And as you have highlighted in, in previous uh, you know blogs and discussions, this whole reverse sweep uh, being a fair fiscal policy question to have, should um, the money be kept over year to year rather than kind of, in other words, resetting and zeroing out accounts and repopulating those accounts. As you know, Jeff, for a lot of these operations to continue without a hiccup, that's the whole reason why the reverse sweep, pulling the money back out of the CBR so that a lot of the functions 
like power cost equalization and the funding of higher education scholarships and the whammy program and many other things can continue without the legislature having to come back and repopulate those accounts but to be able to use the carry forward money from each year to continue um that in itself could be a fiscal policy decision that was made through the legislative process, but it wasn't. It was made in the still of the night, and people literally woke up to finding out those accounts had been swept, which was, in effect, a much larger veto than even the $440 million that we saw. I was talking to David Teal earlier, and he was telling me that, for example, the vaccine program, and you probably understand this better, but what the legislature did... They thought they were doing to not have it swept, but in fact, they changed the rules afterwards, the, the OMB, and now it's swept. So they said there's been some rules. They didn't even realize what was going to happen until after the budget got passed and the sweep didn't, the reverse sweep didn't happen. Correct. And you have highlighted the public health vaccine money uh, right when we have a measles outbreak in Alaska yeah. and the vaccinations going out to the many um, uh, community health clinics. Um, that money just uh, evaporated. It was all pulled back into the uh, Constitutional Budget Reserve, which, again, we just can't go get it. It takes a three-quarter vote to get it. So it's a significant thing when it goes into there, and uh, it's very difficult to recover that money to make sure it goes back into these programs that the public is counting on. I think another big uh, unintended consequence of all this, if there's a lawsuit over something, the PCE or whatever, if you look at the Hickel versus Cooper lawsuit and some of the language in there and not, you know, back then that was in the 90, early 90s, the earnings reserve really wasn't, it was for dividends. It wasn't for government, but now it is for government based on the SB 26. So David Thiel and other people have said there's a chance the courts could rule that the earnings reserve could get swept. So then every year you have to have a three, if that happened, there'd be a three quarters vote to pay a dividend. Yeah, correct. So based on the governor's interpretation it would also apply to the earnings reserve, which, that's wild. which is wild and which we do not believe any court in Alaska would uphold. But th- carrying their logic out, those accounts would also be subject to that. Yes. Um, so, yeah, we're we're at a tough time right now. I've talked to people who have been here for 20, 30 years, and they all say you know, unequivocally this is the kind of either craziest or, or just most intense they've ever seen things here. It is, you know, so if you're a guy like, like myself, which I think I'm a pretty average Alaskan, you know, I'm a Republican. I believe in keeping downward pressure on the cost of government. And I fully supported $200 million in budget cuts. The first go around, um, as you saw the, the bill that just came out of finance, there's another almost $90 million in cuts to that bill, but doing it, incrementally and in stages and in a way that doesn't destabilize our economy we're just trying to claw our way out of a recession and um, we have heard strongly from our business community conservative business community you probably saw the ad in the daily news with hundreds of businesses asking us to override these well, vetoes. i have uh, alaska associated general contractors there's a on my website right now, there's an ad they put out saying pass the capital budget. Great case in point. Not only pass the capital budget, but it was also AGC and Alaska Home Builders Association and other construction-related groups that are very concerned about the severity of the vetoes because of the job losses to our economy and the fact that you just can't backfill those 
even in a few years. The economists mm-hmm. that we've seen said this budget will take Alaska 10 to 15 years to recover from. Yeah, I've, I've said, what, what's the guy's name from ICER? The really, uh, uh, Goldsmith? No, not the other, oh, the new oh. guy. I forget his name. Uh, he's got a fu- kind of funny name. Uh, he's an I economist, forget. but he's testified yeah. several times. Very bright. Oh, yeah, I, I know who you're what's talking about. Yeah, 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 I think it starts with an M. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He, he's, I, I, I would mispronounce it, but he's yes. He's testified several times. Yeah. And, yeah, he's a brilliant guy. So what, so your rules chair, uh, initially you were majority leader, but you, you and Representative Thompson switched. And Correct. He told me earlier, you, you, you know the rules a lot better than he does, and um, you probably be better. So you guys decided you'd be both better at the other positions. Yeah, you're right, Jeff. It was it was one of those. Uh, um, it was really last minute. I I didn't uh, realize how um, concerned Representative Thompson was about the uh, the rules process. But um, there is a lot to know in my time in the building. I uh, both working with uh, Mason's um, legislative procedure and then the uniform rules. I was a lot more comfortable stepping into that role, and I, I don't think that um, it, it, that the, the gravity of, of what was required to be known was fully realized at mm. the time until we settled into it. And it, But it was an easy switch. It was a good switch. And uh, as you know, Representative Thompson's doing a, a great job in the majority leader role, and I think my, my I'm more process-oriented probably for my criminal uh, background it's investigation. I, it's, it, it fits me better. It's funny. I just, if, if I didn't know you, I would never think you were a cop because you're such a nice guy. You know, what I, mean? just, I was a good cop. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So as yeah. as rules chair, you not only keep the uh, maintain the rules, enforce the rules on the floor, but you uh, do you assign offices, you uh, uh, decide who can going to be on the floor. Yeah, it's the administrative uh, function of running the building. A lot of the um, contracts, expenses, a lot of the uh, hiring of personnel during during session is authorized by the rules during the interim it's authorized by the speaker of the house so any employee hire uh, setting the salary range is the points for each office office assignments which you already pointed out um, anytime there's an issue with um, space equipment um, staff issues I help resolve that so the house runs smoothly that's my job is to make sure everybody can show up do their work and um, and that all the administrative support is there for him. What's been the most, uh, does something stick out the most surprising or the maybe strangest thing you've had to deal with as rules chair? Well, so because we were more than a month in before we organized, people had been in temporary office space for more than a month. So it was very hard so you had like to, some to the... make these, these moves because even though everybody was trying to live out of boxes, when you're in an office for a month, you get settled. And then when we did organize into offices, there was, uh, you know, a few feathers ruffled just well, going like Rep, through. Rep Rasmussen, for example, was in Jason Gren's big office. He was in the you know, finance committee. And Sarah Vance, too, I think, was in Seton's, yeah, yeah. Seton's office. So you had yeah. people who were in these really nice finance there, offices. There were, yeah, that was, that was uh, certainly uh, challenging. But, you know, everybody worked well together. We didn't have any, any meltdowns. We got it figured out. And I have to give great credit to my, my staff, um, uh, Grace Abbott and uh, Charlotte Truitt. They, they, uh, they helped facilitate all the personalities in the office movement and working with building maintenance, too. A lot of personalities. A lot of personalities. I, saw, I won't say who, but I saw somebody yesterday who was basically telling you if you didn't do something, they were going to pull out the hammer and start putting nails in the, and you said, do not do that. You know? So you got a, I just happen to be sitting there. You got a bird's eye view of what I have to deal with. Right. And my job is I, I try to keep people calm and, um, not, uh, 
not react to the first emotional outburst. So do you, uh, second term, I know you've, you've been here only four years, I guess this is your third year. So right. what, um, did you expect it as a staffer? You were here for a long time. It's definitely very different than it has been in the past. Did you expect, I mean, the money's maybe the biggest reason is not as much money as there used to be. Yeah, Jeff, this is probably a watershed year in the history of our state. You know, as you know, we had a permanent fund dividend that um, when the program was started, we had less than $500 million in the account. And now today with, you know, a permanent fund that uh, funds that dividend with over $65 billion and, um, and a state that has probably grown four times, maybe not four times, but three times in population and our infrastructure needs have grown. We are first time we've really faced a critical juncture of can we continue to afford paying out the dividend under the formula we have and fund necessary state services. Alaska's never really had to have that argument and, 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 and resolve it. They started to have it, but then yeah. the price of oil Price of oil up. saved us, so we never had to address spending. We never had to address for either spending on the dividends or spending on state services because there was enough. We were the envy of the whole I, country. I have friends in other states, and even today I was talking to David Teal. Um, he said some of his counterparts in other states, they just they said, it's insane. We, give, we, we have no taxes, they, you know, taxes. We, we give out money. We have this fund, and yet we're arguing about all this stuff. And he said, and I have friends in other states. I kind of ex- try to explain things to them, and they just always... They don't, they don't have to probably be here for a couple of years to maybe understand it, how, yeah. how wild it is. It, 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 does, it does take people a while to understand the whole idea of the permanent fund dividend that the state would um, give out uh, that, that money and then uh, no, no statewide income tax, no, no sales tax. Um, no other uh, contribution required other than maybe your local property tax. So we are a very unique state, you know, and frankly, I'm, I'm glad we're the envy of other states. I'm certainly not a big tax proponent, but I, um, you're absolutely right in that times have changed. Um, we have now are at the point where the only shock absorber that we are collectively willing to go to is the permanent fund dividend. So there's downward pressure on the dividend, which we see. And Alaskans now are asking the hard questions, are we, are we, uh, do we want to tax ourselves to pay out a big PFD or would we, um, or would we rather not tax ourselves and, uh, pay out the dividend we can afford? And so what you see is the house, the house majority organized along the lines of let's pay the dividend we can afford and keep the tax burden low on Alaskans. And then the people who do not agree with that would, um, rather pay, out the highest possible dividend, um, even if it leads to well, more it's, taxes. It's interesting, you know. People, a lot of people will talk about Jay Hammond and the the dividend, and, and he 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 always wanted an income tax. Um, and also, if you look back and read minutes, or if you watch interviews that are still out there, everybody who was involved with the creation of the dividend, they all you know they all agreed that you know unequivocally that this is for a day when when the oil's not going to be there anymore. Sure. So I, I guess I always say, well. Nobody ever wants to, at any point, say this is that day. Even if it's forty years since it started, nobody right. wants to say, "Well, here we're we're at that time." Yeah, and that's really the crux of the issue. Is it really is, and you you probably read it, uh, Jeff. The 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 prop the ballot proposition 
on that vote that they that they took. Mm-hmm. And um, I wasn't I wasn't old enough to vote then. I think it was 1980. Um, so I, I I missed that vote. I voted in the next statewide general election, but. But yeah, it was Tom Fink actually wrote the opposition piece, and it was the state chamber of commerce that wrote the supportive piece for uh, the permanent fund dividend. the The state chamber made it very clear that when our natural resource money ran out, Alaskans, the question was posed: is what will fund necessary state services? The answer, Alaskans, is the permanent fund. It, it was very clear what we were voting on. Tom Fink's opposition piece was that the state government should not save money. We shouldn't trust uh, the money to, uh, to be saved by the government. It should just be appropriated each year um, as needed, but do not uh, allow any savings to be built up by the government. He, he saw that as not being a wise plan. But I'm glad that the uh, state chamber argument won the day because as you know, we have one of the largest sovereign wealth funds in the world and we don't have a, a fiscal problem. We have a how big of a PFD can we pay issue, and do we want to introduce new revenue um, into that equation? That's what our our senator has said many times in the Senate Finance Committee. We don't have a, a fiscal problem; we have a we have a priority problem. That's there you kind go. Of the line she's been using a lot. Yeah, yes. Well, it's been great doing the, the podcast. I uh, gotta say, second time in this office, so it's uh, it's a nice office here. It's very yeah, very it, nice couch. It's great sitting down with you, Jeff. I appreciate your your work here and. Um, and, and thanks for the opportunity to talk with you this yeah, afternoon. That's uh, last thing. What, what, what's your, uh, I guess, guess or prediction about when you guys are going to get out, get out of here. Could it be August 8th is the official end, right? Sure. I, I expect to be out of here well before then. I think we're making progress on getting that 30th vote, maybe even get 34, 35 votes on the capital budget. And I, I think, um, on the operating budget, you know, we'll get to a balance with the, um, the House minority, not just the House minority, but the Senate majority and Senate minority on what's uh, what's the amount of veto overrides uh, that people will support, what's the amount of vetoes that they will accept, and also the dividend. But good active discussions are, are going on, and I think we're starting all four of those paths are, are converging. So once you do get out of here and you go back to Anchorage, you got any summer plans? Maybe and we're already halfway through summer. So I have so. a new grandson. Really? He's only three months old, and um, I've hardly seen him at all. So I'm looking forward to spending time with him and uh, and just connecting with the family. As you know, this job keeps us away from home uh, a lot, and um, so for this year, I've I've been away from home for almost seven months. Yeah, I saw your wife um, was here yesterday visiting. Yeah, you met her. Yep. Yes, yeah. So that was the second time she came down this year. I know your, I know your sister too. Yes, Sarah. yes, yes. I like her. She's yeah. She's nice. She really is. Yeah. Well, thanks again, uh, Representative Cop. Uh, Thank you, Jeff. Rules Chair, appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll see yeah. you here and then back in the district as well. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks for having me today. Folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, let me know. And we'll uh, talk to you next time. Land.